What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Hello, and welcome back to Stephanomics, the podcast that is once again bringing the global economy to you with help from a global team of reporters, economists and experts and me, Stephanie Flanders, head of Bloomberg Economics. Now, I don't think you have to be an economist to have noticed that large parts of the economy are out of sync. On the one hand, people are going back to offices again, at least in Europe and the US. We're going to crowded parties again or the movies. We stopped living 80% of our lives online, at least for over 16. But when you go to that restaurant, you might find it's open shorter hours. There's a smaller menu. Or you're told that machine part you need is going to take six months. Here in Britain, we're even seeing empty shelves for some goods in the supermarkets. And as I record this, I don't actually know where I'm going to get my next tank of fuel. Our local gas station in West London hasn't had any for a week. In short, demand has come roaring back, but supply has not. What that means for the shape of the global recovery and inflation, we'll probably be talking about a lot in the weeks to come. But first, I wanted to get up close and personal with this great supply chain snarl up. Get a sense of what it looks like, feels like, in different parts of the world. So later, we have a report from Lizzie Burden in London, with angry drivers lining up for petrol in the street where she lives and a chat about staff shortages with restaurateur and TV star Willie Daigle, and an expert take from a trade economist, Shanella Ramayajam. But to kick things off, here's Bloomberg senior reporter Ender Curran in Hong Kong. What was supposed to be a temporary shortage of goods has morphed into something much bigger, with warnings that supply chain disruption will now last well into next year. That's why I've come back to the waterfront of Hong Kong's port, one of the world's biggest. Across from me are stacks of containers that will bring goods to every corner of the globe. Since I last visited here in January, costs for shipping containers and raw materials have continued to soar. An energy crunch in China is just the latest complication. I caught up with manufacturing and shipping executives to gauge where things go from here. For my first visit, I went to meet Daniel Yip, managing director of GEW International Corporation, who makes electronics products like coffee machines, coffee grinders and toasters for major markets in Europe, especially Germany. Shortages of integrated circuits, or IC, along with expensive shipping, have hit Yip's operations hard. Even if he can get the integrated circuits and other components, he will pay several times their ordinary price. Yip explained to me that the cost to make a household coffee machine is up 10% over pre-pandemic times. The single biggest problem that we, we are facing this year is the shortage of our IC. 
before, you know, we, uh, when we buy the, uh, the IC, we only need about three months uh, order lead time. Now we are facing from uh, changing from six to nine months of order lead time, you know. And then because uh, the supply of the IC is not very stable, so now we will keep a bit more infantry than normal, you know. So we are keeping three, four months of IC, you know, of uh, supply, you know, in inside my factory. But it's not just chips that are in short supply. The other area is the, all the copper parts, you know. As you can imagine, in a coffee machine, in the boiler area, in, the, in all this uh, accessory and the uh, components area, we use a lot of copper. And the copper price has been up significantly because, again, you can imagine, you know, most of the copper is coming from South America. The shipping costs and the, the availability of the shipment has driven the cost up dramatically. The shortage of semiconductors is hurting a range of manufacturers. The work-from-home boom is part of that story. So I went along to the launch of new headphones by Soul Nation, a company whose products in the past have been promoted by celebrities such as athlete Usain Bolt and rapper Ludacris. <laughs> Today, um, at our event here today, we're launching uh, one of our latest um, uh, product called the Emotion Series. That's Gary So, Chief Executive of Soul Nation. The main um, design concept um, behind this series is that they're able to handle calls very well. Um, it's got very good microphones inside, so you can actually just take conference calls, Zoom calls with these headphones. The company is adapting to the supply chain issues by making sure it has enough inventory. We have to play safe. Um, so what, what we have to do is we do have to risk by certain long lead time um, materials, such as chipsets and semiconductors, just in case. But we won't necessarily over-purchase the entire the, the product. That, that's kind of how we control the cost. Even when products are made, getting them to a shelf near you has become an expensive endeavor. While the cost of shipping containers has soared, the alternative of air freight isn't cheap either. You just get pushed back, right? It's just a domino effect. If they're behind on one, one shipment, then yours is going to be behind as well, right? It, it, there's only a certain amount of production lines in the, in the, at the factory. So I would say that this year, um, more so than ever, we have been doing a lot of air freight, which is not ideal. Next, I met Tim Huxley, the chief executive of Mandarin Shipping, who has been in the industry for over 40 years. Well, here we are on the waterfront at the entrance to Hong Kong Harbour near Green Island, uh, Lama Channel in front of us. And the Lama Channel is really the access point for all of shipping that comes into Hong Kong. Uh, we can see that over to our right. Uh, and that is absolutely running flat out at the moment. Uh, it's running 24-7. It's one of the most efficient ports in the world. A lot of cargo comes in here from around the region and then gets unloaded and put on, onto bigger ships that then go across the Pacific. So this is a crucial artery for world trade. Ships waiting to unload at ports have knock-on consequences, delaying goods getting to your local shopping centre. While Hong Kong has avoided those delays, other ports are logjammed. The cost of moving a container from Asia to, to the US, I mean, a year or so ago, when COVID first struck and there was the, the economy ground to a halt, 
that cost dropped to about just over 2,000 US dollars. Now it is over 20,000 US dollars to move that container. Now that's all going to feed through uh, with ultimately inflation to consumers. So that's really where we are. It's not just shipping. It's not just that we've got a shortage of ships. We have. That we will probably resolve. I mean, there's been a huge raft of new ships ordered. I mean, and you've now got about 23% of the world's container fleet is actually sitting in shipyards being built. But they won't come out until 2024, 2025. In a sign of how far this crunch has to run, chartered ships are now being rented for years at a time, according to Huxley. There, there doesn't really seem to be any, any prospect of it easing much into first half of next year, which is about as far ahead as I can look. I mean, you've got the sort of peak season, the Christmas season, we're now well into that. And that has really compounded the problem. But even when that eases at around Chinese New Year time, it doesn't look like there's um, much chance of uh, there being a surplus of capacity. I think this is with us for quite a while to come. For the final word on this, here's Daniel Yip again, who hopes for a circuit breaker in the supply crunch soon. When you drink a cup of coffee, think about, you know, what happened to the supply chain in, in, uh, in Asia, you know. And the current Bloomberg News. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Now, I promised to bring you a sense of what this bumpy road to recovery looks like from different parts of the world. So that's why we're heading from Hong Kong to the US now to talk to Willie Daigle. You may have seen him on the Food Network. He's the owner of the Uncle Jack Steakhouse chain, which has four restaurants in Georgia and two in New York, as well as being a TV star. Mr. Daigle, uh, Willie, you've asked me to call you. Uh, thanks very much for joining us on Stephanomics. We hear a lot about shortages and supply chain issues. How difficult are you finding it to get the stuff you need? You know, New York and Georgia, great states. We're getting things. A lot of stuff is back ordered. A lot of stuff is out. We're building a new restaurant right now in Lawrenceville. It's a small city in Georgia. Uh, Walk-in boxes, different pieces of equipment, furniture, tables, chairs, you name it, things have extended lead times. What's You, know, you have to adapt. If you thought you were going to go with this chair and it was a special order, maybe you got to go with a simple chair that's in the States and it's simplified and it's a bulk style chair. You have to keep adapting. You have to keep adjusting. You can't quit. You got to do what you can do is get open and execute. But it's hard. 
And what about getting people to what about people getting to work in the restaurants? So during COVID, the restaurant industry got really hurt because so many staff members found other jobs. So many kitchen staff members found other type of jobs, whether it be landscaping, construction. A lot of people moved out of the state of New York to find new jobs, new careers. So it was like I call it the life changing moment, everyone had to look in the mirror, they had to say, what am I doing? This is an opportunity now for me to rethink. So a lot of people think they're gonna be a boss and they're gonna become entrepreneurs and they're going to go to start their own business. There's nothing wrong with that, but you're gonna go through this process. Then now in September, a lot more people are looking to come back. And then people are coming back and want these huge packages. Like, oh my God, I'm worth way more. Show me the money. Show me how you're going to set me up. Thinking they're like NBA players. And are you paying people more? What kind of wage growth have you, you seen? You know, yes. In all, in steady positions, in management and chef and salary employees, people across the board got more money in the last two years. In, you know, in New York, all the labor rates got increased in the last five years, which it's almost put us out of business. So food prices are up, menu prices are up, uh, what's available, what's not. But to keep the business open when you're, or to open this, the new restaurant that you're talking about, are you having to, you know, is your sort of start starter base pay as a waiter, how much higher is that now than it would have been, say, a year ago? So just the COVID effect. Yeah, no, for waiters with tipped employees at my restaurants, the base pay in New York is $10 an hour. In Georgia, it's almost $3 an hour. Big difference. But if you're really good in Georgia, we give you $5 an hour base and we move you up from there. So, yes, all the base pays have gone up a little bit. Not too much in New York for tipped employees because our restaurants running with a minimal staff and controlling the hours. Actually, the staff is making more money right now than they ever did before. So every state is a little different. Every operation is a little different. And just, um, I guess, finally, we're all wondering whether these kind of supply chain issues are going to get better. I mean, if you step back, you know, forget about COVID for a minute. There's just a sort of feeling that the, the we're recovering. We, the sort of our social lives are recovering faster than the real economy. You know, and there's this sort of catch up process where the supply everywhere and the container ships and all of that has to kind of catch up with where people are in terms of how much they want to go back out to restaurants and things like that. So I just if we think of it in that kind of economist type way that we've got too much demand and not enough supply, does it feel to you like some of those kinks are getting worked out, that things are getting smoother or with the fuel prices going up, do you feel like actually we could be in for quite a difficult winter? You know, I feel it's going to get caught up. We know that all the supply lines and everything got backed up because they didn't have a lot of employees. Trucking went through the roof. I built houses in the Hamptons. I'll bring up from North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, trees and plants and direct. And all the trucking tripled. Why? Because they're in such demand. There wasn't that many truckers. So as everyone comes back to the workforce and you have the manpower to regulate, it's, it's, it's capitalism at its finest, right? If it's what people are willing to pay. So 
It will slowly trickle down the more people come back to work. We will catch up. Will it take time? Yes. You know, you've got you've given us such an interesting perspective and quite a lot of economic theories in there, which we're going to be testing out with an economist later in the show. But uh, Willie Daigle, thanks very much. So I want to move quickly to our next item, if only for the change of accent. The UK has had its own special cocktail of supply chain snarl-ups, made all the more challenging by Brexit. Here's Lizzie Burden. Outside my window in London, a line of angry drivers is queuing for the gas station a mile away. Across the country, grocery staples are out of stock. Charities are warning that a million households will have to rely on extra blankets to keep warm this winter, as heating bills double. This was supposed to be the year the UK broke free of the European Union and forged ahead as a buccaneering free trader. Instead, a confluence of crises has forced the government to deploy soldiers to drive fuel trucks, energy suppliers to go bust and panicked shoppers to stockpile all while COVID-19 is still rife. Governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, joked that perhaps next he should expect a plague of locusts. The immediate challenges facing the UK stem from the loss of a vital pool of labour after Brexit. A dearth of truckers is raising fears not just about toys or turkeys for Christmas, but whether people will have enough food and fuel this winter. At the root of the UK's troubles, though, is its dependence on trade, an asset before the pandemic that now magnifies the damage from leaving the EU and Covid disruption. Here's Shane Brennan, chief executive of the Cold Chain Federation, which represents businesses along the UK's food supply chain. We spend too much time worrying about who's to blame and not enough just accepting the reality that our supply chain does not have the capacity that it needs to do the job right now. And it won't for some weeks, if not months, to come. As we think about that, we need to be thinking, how do we take the pressure off the people trying to do the job today? Because if we don't, we're going to make the problem worse as more and more people leave the industry. So whether it's the Brexit red tape, whether it's the pandemic uh, ending a furlough, whether it's the issue of immigration visas, we need to be thinking about how we relieve the pressure in the short term to give businesses the time to readjust for the next phase of our economy. The narrative in the first half of 2021 was how the UK's world-beating vaccination programme allowed the government to unshackle the economy from Covid restrictions. Since then, though, Britain's vulnerabilities have become clearer. With fewer people to choose from, wages have already risen. Supermarkets such as Waitrose have hiked pay for new hauliers and are dangling bonuses to lure recruits. But the structural changes in the economy are proving more painful than expected. I spoke to James Withers, Chief Executive of Scottish Food and Drink. We've now got a crisis with labour shortages right through our food supply chain from gaps in jobs on farm through to the manufacturing sector, whether that is seafood or red meat or dairy. We are seeing shortages in retail and the hospitality supply chain. And obviously we're seeing a shortage in drivers, the wheels that we need to get our products from farms and factories onto supermarket shelves and onto into restaurants and hotels. So a huge amount of pressure. And I don't think anything that's been done thus far is going to make any real difference to the crisis 
crisis that we've got and we're heading towards peak Christmas trading period. And the fear is that some of the gaps we've seen on supermarket shelves just aren't going to get any better. To be sure, pockets of worker shortages are cropping up across Europe and the whole continent will feel the pinch of record energy prices. But Britain's also paying for its exceptionalism. Take the truckers. A quarter of Europe's estimated 400,000 shortfall for lorry drivers affects the UK alone. That's partly because tougher visa rules have meant that those who left during the pandemic have struggled to return after Brexit. In response, the Department for Transport pulled a U-turn. After months of pressure from lobby groups, it made 5,000 visas available to EU drivers of food and fuel for three months. Ruby McGregor-Smith, president of the British Chambers of Commerce, says that's a feeble solution. The supply of EU labour was turned off with no clear roadmap as to how this transition would be managed without any disruption to services and to supply chains. The government's announcement of temporary visas for lorry drivers and food workers is the equivalent of throwing a thimble of water on a bonfire. With food and energy prices climbing, the Bank of England's Andrew Bailey has the unenviable task of figuring out how to keep a lid on inflation without choking off the recovery. Here's Bloomberg Economics' Dan Hansen. I think it's fair to say the bank has a really tough balancing act over the next few months. On the one hand, the economy faces a number of headwinds from ongoing supply disruption and reduced fiscal support. And on the other, inflation has surprised almost everyone with how quickly it's picked up. Now, the key thing for the timing of any rate rise will be how the labour market responds to the end of the furlough scheme. If the unemployment rate stays steady, then a rate hike is likely to follow quite quickly. But if there are signs the jobless rate is on the rise, then expect the bank's cool expectations around any tightening in the near term. For now, that leaves the Brexit dream looking more like a nightmare. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. So we're going to pull all the different pieces of this supply chain disaster together now with Shanela Rajanayajam, a trade economist who keeps close tabs on all of this for HSBC in London. Uh, Shanela, uh, welcome to Stephanomics. We've, we've had a taste of what's happening in practice in different parts of the world. What's happening in theory? I mean, how do you explain these supply chain issues apparently getting worse at a time when we might have all thought, you know, we'd be coming out of the woods by now. 
Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And yes, over the past year, there's been a lot of issues around container availability, around port congestion, surging freight rates. Uh, and this is due to a combination of factors. First, uh, there was really strong demand from Western economies for goods during the pandemic, and that's still continuing today. Uh, and then that's coupled with all the movement and lockdown restrictions due to COVID, which is leading to the congestion at major ports. And so the key issue at the moment is that we're in the midst of peak container shipping season, so demand for goods still remains elevated, uh, plus there's limited capacity, so containers are not really in the right place, air freight capacity is quite restricted, uh, and so all of these are really contributing to ongoing supply chain disruptions. People who listen to Stephanomics a lot, uh, God help them, uh, would have heard quite a lot of conversations at various times about supply chain issues and certainly about containers waiting in line outside LA port and other ports. I just would have thought maybe that this would have been starting to decline. So, So why is it getting worse? Why is it still going on? So uh, previously, the the volume of goods trade was quite high. This has been exacerbated by the current peak container shipping season. Uh, but as you mentioned, that rotation away from spending on goods into spending on services is well underway. Uh, there's evidence to suggest in the UK and also in the US that consumers are starting to spend a little bit more on services and including on services, exports and imports. Uh, but really, the issue remains the COVID restrictions uh, and the uh, the factors restricting the movement uh, of workers, but also the the labour and equipment shortages. And when you think of the, I mean, the inflation effect, we're certainly seeing it in the cost of freight, and uh, shipping costs just seem to keep going up, and that will, I'm sure, feed into. I mean, we can see it's already feeding into input prices, and maybe ultimately the prices that we pay in the shops. Is that something that you'd expect to last? Yeah, so supply chain challenges are certainly impacting the price of consumer goods. Uh, however, the conventional view and largely our view as well is that inflation will prove to be transitory uh, because if you think about some of these supply chain disruptions, it's unlikely that they will continue to keep prices high in, say, one or two years' time. Uh, so that certainly should come off the, the boil a little bit. The issue really is if these high spot rates start to feed through into the longer-term container contract rates uh, and if supply chain disruptions persist, then we might see a bit more inflationary pressure and that could last for a while yet. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, when businesses were discovering that it was actually quite bad news to be heavily dependent on China for their production, we had lots of conversations about people bringing production back home, about how this was going to change supply chains forever. And then that kind of went away a bit uh, because I we certainly talked to a lot of businesses who said, you know, we've invested so much in our supply chain in Asia, we're not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Um, do you think that these, the kind of frictions we're seeing and the delays we're seeing at the port is going to reopen that debate and we are maybe going to see some permanent change in the way the global economy works as a result of this? Well, I think the point to note is that supply chains were already reconfiguring. So even prior to COVID, even prior to US-China trade tensions escalating, supply chains, particularly in the Asia-Pacific, were 
rejigging. And so China was already moving up the value chain. Uh, you saw the rise of emerging Asian economies, and China was increasingly outsourcing its production to these countries. COVID could certainly accelerate that trend, uh, but I think it still takes a lot for a business to actually decide whether to lift and shift production. And so they really have to consider all these other factors like the, the availability of workers, the access to raw materials uh, before they can actually uh, change their supply chains permanently. So when you're looking forward to next year, I guess just in terms of you know the conversations that you're having around the forecasts, when you think of the role of supply chain issues and the effect on growth in 2022, how much are you still expecting it to figure in 22 or how much do you think is going to be just it will have disappeared by then? Uh, so we don't expect it to play as large a role as it did this year, uh, particularly because many of these supply chain shocks are expected to be temporary. And also, even though global goods trade has performed remarkably well in the wake of the pandemic, there is signs that the best of the global goods trade rebound is behind us. So exports might not necessarily be the same driver it was next year as it was uh, in the recovery from the pandemic. Okay, final question, Shanella. Most important of all, is Christmas cancelled? Definitely not. But I will say it probably is worth uh, looking to buy your Christmas presents a little bit earlier this year. Well, that is bad news for many of us. Shanella Rajanayajam, thank you very much. Thank you. So that is it for this episode of Stephanomics. We'll be back next week to tell you who had the better response to the COVID jobs crisis, Europe or the US. In the meantime, please rate the programme or re-rate it if you need to and follow at Economics on Twitter for more news and analysis from Bloomberg Economics. This episode was produced by Magnus Henriksen with special thanks to Lizzie Burden, Ender Curran, Willie Daigle and Shanella Anayajam. Mike Sasso is executive producer of Stephanomics and the head of Bloomberg Podcast is Francesca Levy. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers and innovators leading the way from design and culture to technology, science and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.